following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Great job, as always. And we are continuing our series on the book of Philippians. I'm excited to keep doing that. I know I say that every week. I've got to come up with something better than that, but I really am excited. This book of Philippians is developing a life of true joy because we all want joy, right? We want joy, but oftentimes as Americans, we are pretty negative at times. In fact, just last month, actually, I guess it was last last month now because it's now June, but uh, end of April, there was an article on how Americans are some of the most negative people on the planet. And it said that 55% said that they experienced stress in 2018. 45% of Americans said they felt worried a lot. 22% of Americans said they felt angry a lot. We trailed three other countries, Greece, where 59% of people said they experienced stress, The Philippines, 58%. Tanzania, 57%. But I want you to look at this. We are tied with Iran, Iran, Albania, and Sri Lanka. And I put in there the average monthly incomes of people in those countries. In Iran, it's $470 a month or equivalent. Albania, $368 per month. In Sri Lanka, $1385 per month. In the U.S., our average monthly income is $3,500 per month. So almost three times the the next closest one. You see, we're not joyful, not because we don't have, but we often compare and consume what we do have with others. And so we look at what other people have, and we're not joyful because we don't have what they have. Or we we look at, at all the advertising and marketing that's placed on us, and We don't have what they're showing us, and so we must not be fulfilled because we don't have that that wicker basket that would make our lives fulfilled. If we just had that wicker basket by our front door, then everything would go well in our lives. That's what the advertising tries to tell us, and these amazing wicker baskets that we can have. And so we're not joyful in our life, And, and there's times in our life where we will not be joyful where we, things will be negative, we'll be negative, and we'll go through suffering in our life. It might not just be as simple as not having a wicker basket. Sometimes suffering can be a lot re- more real, and we can be negative because of that in our lives. And we go through, through suffering in our lives. We go through difficult times in our life. It might be because of our own doing. It might be because of somebody else. It might be because of a situation but every single one of us will go through suffering. And, but I can find joy in my suffering if I can find God's purpose in the midst of my pain. If I can find God's purpose in the midst of my pain, then I can begin to find a way to be joyful even in the midst of suffering. And that's what I want to talk with you about today is finding joy in suffering. Because we're in this series on finding joy, and one of the realities of life is that we're going to suffer. So when we suffer, we've got to be able to say, okay, when I go through this, am I going to be able to find joy by what Jesus is doing in 
and through me. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. My t- the title of my talk is Your Pain Has a Purpose. And I want to read to you Philippians 1. But first, let's open in prayer. God, thanks for this talk today. Thank you for this message that you've given me. And God, I pray for some people who are going through suffering right now that you might be able to help them, Lord, and that this message would touch their hearts and change their perspective on suffering and the opportunities that you are giving them even in the midst of suffering. In your precious name we pray, amen. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, it reads, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now the palace guard, these are are prominent guards. They're not just your average, everyday, ordinary guards, run-of-the-mill guards. These are the palace guards, so they're prominent figures. And to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. They were actually, you know, keeping score. It was kind of like, like they were playing a, a game of who could make the most conversions, except it wasn't like, like football or something. It was gospel. Now, wouldn't that be awesome if it was like a sport like this, like preachers said how many, yeah, <laughs> you're, no, no, it wouldn't be. Yes, you're right, Pat, it wouldn't be awesome. Um, <laughs> but, but hey, for those, the competitive ones of us, maybe that might be some extra encouragement to say, hey, how much, you're like a scoreboard above the church. This is how many conversions were made here, you know. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's kind of what was going on. They, were, they had this competition, manly competition going on of who was making the most conversions. Um, so preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Isn't that good? We could just go home right now and that would be be church right there, right? But... um, this is a, let me set a little context of this letter. This is a letter that's later, Paul, later in Paul's life. Um, Paul's an older man now, and he's, Paul is in Rome, although that's not necessarily a nice place to him, and I'll explain that in a second. Paul doesn't have any friends around him. Paul is not married. He has no wife. He has no children, so he's alone, but he's writing to this group, Philippians, and this group of Philippians, they're not even in a place that has barely any Jews. It takes 10 Jews to make a synagogue, and they didn't even have a synagogue there, which means they didn't even have 10 Jews in Philippi. And Paul is writing to this place, and the place that he originally didn't even want to go to. He had a, a dream that he actually wanted to go the other way, but he had a dream, and God sent him to Philippi. And so Paul didn't even want to go there, but it goes to show that the place that you don't want to go can become the 
place of your greatest support, friendship, and joy. And that's what Paul found, is he found this group of people in the Philippians that were some of his greatest supporters and some of his greatest friends there. But Paul is in Rome, like I mentioned before, but he's under house arrest, and he's in prison, and he's jailed to a a Roman guard, and he's facing a death sentence on his life. And so he is, is struggling because here he is writing a letter about joy. The most joyful book of the Bible is Philippians, and he's writing it from a prison cell uh, facing a death sentence. What is the key component to a kind of joy that, that could push out a, a prison sentence like that and be able to, to have him find joy in the midst of that situation, in the midst of his pain? Because Paul, like I said, he's, he's jailed to a Roman guard, and every eight to ten hours there's a shift. He's in substandard living conditions. He's potentially sleeping on a cold, hard ground. He's been beaten. He's broke. He's sick. He, he's not in, doing it. He doesn't have any kind of experience around him that would give him a sense of joy. And yet somehow he's writing this letter that he has joy in his life. I wonder for you. That Paul is in prison, but I wonder, what are the prisons you're facing in your life? What are, what are some of your own personal prisons? Maybe, maybe the personal prison for you is a, is a cold marriage, and you're, you're living married, single, and you're not really together with your husband or with your wife, and yet you're doing life together. You're running the kids to the places where they're called to be, and, and, and yet you, you go home and you sleep and you turn over and look at each other every now and then you, you think, what, what happened to us? What, there's these unspoken things that we just, we can't get through, and so we can't really experience a real marriage the way that God has called us to. Maybe for you, it's, it's your children, those those devils, those, those angels that God gives you in your life to be able to, to have your, share your joy with. And, and yet the, these angels, these little kids that you raised, that you love desperately so much, are going astray. And they become teenagers and they start giving you attitude in your life. And now you're wondering if they're going to Follow Jesus, and if they're going to do what God has called them to do and live up to hopes, you have so many hopes for them. And yet you're in prison, imprisoned by these hopes that they're not living up to. Or, or maybe for you, it's, it's being single. And people talk about that who are married that, well, being single won't make you, or being married won't make you happy, it won't make you fully fulfilled. You still need other things in your life. And you're thinking, that's great for you because you're married. You can say that. And, but I'd like to try it, at least. I'd like to find out for myself if that's true. And so you're living single, and you're imprisoned in this prison of loneliness in your life. Maybe it's, it's a, a prison of, of sickness or, or an injury or a disease, and you feel physically imprisoned by this thing that you're going through that's constantly holding you back from what God has called you to. You know, there's um, our cat got out a while ago, and they don't have these for cats. I think they probably should. Maybe they do, um, but I know for dogs, they have these these uh, invisible prisons, like invisible coll- like collars, so there's like an invisible fence, I guess it is, and every time they go, it like shocks the dog, and I thought, man, we should get that 
for our cat, but I thought if we got a dog one, maybe it might be too strong and it like might go and then like fall dead because it's like been been shocked to death and electrocuted. Um, for one of our cats, I wouldn't mind. Our other cat, I would mind that. <laughs> um, but um, but you know maybe but maybe for you, this is like that that invisible prison. That invisible fence around you, every time you try to get break free, every time you, you try to find joy, you are experiencing this prison in your life, and it's causing you suffering in your life. What do you do when you're experiencing these invisible prisons that you have in your life? Because over time, what those personal prisons can do is begin to shape your perspective so that doesn't become a perspective of joy. It becomes a perspective of pain. And and we think as we go through these things, how can we experience joy in these personal prisons, in these prisons of pain that that are in my life? Because as you begin to go through this, you you begin to to say other people enjoy, and you're thinking, hey, joy is great for them, and, and, and it must be nice to be them, but it's not for me. I don't get to really experience joy in my life. Or or maybe you're going through this pain, and you've let this pain make you pessimistic. And so you're, you're negative. You're one of those negative Americans that I mentioned before. And, and everything doesn't work, and it's not going to work, and, and this, is, you know, this is all going to fail. And so you don't even try anymore because you know that you're just going to keep getting stopped by this invisible prison in your life. Well, well Paul is experiencing that. And he says in verses 12... To 13, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. In other words, Paul, when he was in this prison, this very real personal prison, because he was under house arrest, what he was doing is he realized, okay, I'm chained to a Roman guard. But what he was able to do is he was able to find the purpose in his pain. And he switched that. And he said, okay, now, now I'm called to be, to be a preacher of the gospel. I'm called to get out the gospel. Well, well I'm going to flip the script here. And, and this guard thinks that he has me prisoner. Well, I'm preaching the gospel. Now I have a captive audience for the next 8 to 10 hours. And so I can preach the gospel. And so what Paul was finding is he was preaching the gospel to these guards. And these were prominent guards, as I mentioned. And so they were over a lot of other guards. And these guards were becoming Christians. Christians, and they themselves were spreading the faith, and more and more guard, Roman guards were becoming Christians, so that upward of 9,000 Roman guards were becoming Christians because of what Paul was doing, what he was preaching while he was a captive. You see, in the midst of the times that we find ourselves in our personal prisons, we find ourselves going through this difficulty, going through this pain, what we can say is, can I find the purpose in this pain so that I can begin to see God's purpose come, come through and I can begin to find joy out of that? 
We have examples of this in the Bible. Joseph in, in Genesis was put in a prison. And Joseph didn't deserve to be in a prison. Every time, every situation he was in, he was always one to try to help and try to do things for other people. And so that God blessed him wherever he went. And, and yet he went to Potiphar's. He was, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And then he went to Potiphar's house. Potiphar bought him as a slave. He was a, an Egyptian guy, uh, kind of an Egyptian aristocrat. And, uh, and he bought him, and, and Joseph was doing all these amazing things so that Potiphar's house was, was growing, and his, his estate was growing, and Potiphar's wife tries to sleep with Joseph, and Joseph runs, but she falsely accuses him of trying to rape her and seduce her, and, and, and so Joseph gets thrown in prison, and he gets forgotten, except a, 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 a chef and a, um, a baker come in, sorry, a baker and a cupbearer. Um, come in, and they hear about Joseph, and they talk with Joseph, and Joseph interprets some of their dreams, and he interprets them correctly, and one dies, and one goes to be with the with Pharaoh, and a couple years later, again, they had forgotten him, but then Pharaoh has a dream, and now Joseph, um, he realized that Joseph can interpret dreams, so Joseph now becomes second in command, because he interpreted the Pharaoh's dream correctly and saves Egypt, and and so here's a guy in prison who, who, even though he was in prison, he still had a purpose. And, and Daniel had a purpose in a, in a personal prison. God threw Daniel in the lion's den. It wasn't a prison, but it was a, it was a den, a lion's den. And, and Daniel was, was following God, and he was praying to God. And there was a commandment that went out that said, you can't pray to anybody else but to, to King Darius. And King Darius was a wicked king. And because of that, now... Um, Daniel went to go pray because he was a faithful follower, and so they threw Daniel into the lion's den, but God shut the mouths of the lions, so they didn't harm uh, Daniel, and then Daniel came up, and King Darius, a wicked king, saw the power of Daniel's God and said that Daniel's God is the only God to be prayed for. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God, was the only God now that people would to be prayed for. And so God used Joseph in a prison. God used Daniel in a prison. And ultimately, God used Jesus in a prison. Jesus went into a prison, the Lamb of God, the perfect one, the holy one, the spotless one, the, the, the Savior went into the, the, a prison where he bared the brunt of the sins of the world and he conquered sin and death because he, God used his faithfulness through a prison. God wants to know that if you'll be faithful in, in the prison and find your purpose in the pain that he can carry you through that and make something something amazing come out come out of that. You see, are gonna are you gonna let your chains use you, or are you gonna use your chains? There was a, a missionary to India, E. Stanley Jones, and he said, "Don't bear trouble, use it." Amen. You see, we've got to determine that we're not gonna let the gospel stop. We're not gonna let circumstances stop us from letting the gospel continue to flow good into the world because that's the source of every good and perfect gift that's the source of every good thing that's the source of hope that we would experience that the gospel can do amazing things and so it's that old preacher phrase turn your test into a testimony your mess into a message um there's a pastor friend of mine and he wanted to plant a church 
he had been fired from a church in Oregon. He had actually had an affair with, with a woman, and he was fired from that church. And he went down um, to Texas, <coughs> and he was in Texas for a time. And while he was there, he, he you know, he was kind of, God was beginning to redeem him and restore him. And rest, first restored his marriage, restored kind of what he was doing in his life. And, and as God was restoring him, he began to kind of faithfully walk. And he was a pastor, trained as a pastor, but he wasn't working as a pastor because he had been fired from his previous job, rightly so, but because he had had an affair. And so as he went down there and he was, had repented of his ways and was trying to turn and follow God and, and restore his marriage, and time after time God was restoring him, and as God began to restore him, you know, he was doing things that weren't his, necessarily his calling. But he was working through that, and so they were struggling a little financially. But he got this, this vision to plant a church. And, and he had had a, somebody he knew up in the Northwest, and they said, um, hey, why don't you come plant a church up here in Snoqualmie, Washington? And so he flew up to Snoqualmie with his wife, and they, they kind of checked it out. And, you know, Snoqualmie was basically just trees back in that day, and there wasn't very much there at all, but he's like, well, Snoqualmie, God, why are you wanting me to plant a church in Snoqualmie? Well, he goes back down to Texas, and um, his wife is a, a lactation consultant. If you need me to explain that, just go look it up. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but she was helping with a woman with lactation, um, and, and the, she was driving to go actually meet this woman at the house to help her, and she drove into this huge complex, and it was like all these huge houses. And so she drives up, and she begins to meet this woman and help her and everything with that, um, all the womanly stuff. And, uh, and then she, she has a great conversation with this woman, though, and they're not Christians. And her and her husband aren't Christians. But, so she comes back, and she says, hey, we, we'd love to get kind of the, everybody together. And so both the, the husbands to come together as well. So um, her husband and her go to this house and they meet with the guy, and they, they talk, and they slowly begin to tell the gospel. And so he's in this time where, where he's kind of in a self-made prison of being fired from, from ministry, but he, he's going through this time of, of restoration in his life, but he's, try, but he's being faithful now, and he's repented, and he's turning around, and, and God is using him, and he, he begins to preach the gospel to this couple, and they start having dinner more regularly, and after a while... This husband and wife accept Jesus, and, and he's, he's excited, and, and he's telling, he tells them that he's planting a church, and, and the, the husband says, you know, usually I give my donation to United Way, but, but I'd like to give my donation to you and to your church plant, because I, I believe in what you're doing, and I see that it's a good thing. And so he, he asks him, he says, so can I, can I give my donation to you? And, and he says, well, yeah, of course. So he writes him a check and hands him a check, and the check... It's for $1 million for him, to, for him to go plant a church up in Snoqualmie, Washington. That's the church I just came from where I was just working. And it's now a church of 800 people. And this, the, the, the community is huge because God used his faith while he was in a prison. You see, God has a purpose for you even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of your suffering. If, if you would follow him, he will work good things. Now, I'm not saying that it's a $1 million dollars. I'm not saying this is, this is what should happen. But what I'm saying is that it's not the point of the story. The point of the story 
is that we, see, we saw lives changed by the power of the gospel. And that is what the gospel does best. It changes lives. It restores souls. It restores hopes. It restores marriages. It helps people begin to build friendships who are lonely. It helps people who are, who are isolated get connected. It helps people who are living scattered lives, people that are lost, begin to find hope and purpose and begin to have their lives work well together. This is the gospel that we serve, that we would see people begin to have lives changed and transformed and things restored in people's lives and things coming back together because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so even in the midst of our suffering, the gospel still works. So will you let your witness, will you let your walk be a witness to other people? And, and, and Paul is saying, look, it can be a witness to non-Christians. It can be a, that, was, that was advancing the gospel, and there were people coming to Christ. But also, it can be a witness to Christians. And this, this is what Paul talks about in verses 14 to 18. He says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. You see, here... There, there are some Christians that are, are worried because Paul is aggressively preaching the gospel. And because he's aggressively preaching the gospel, he's coming into conflict with the Roman authorities. There's a state religion in not those days. And so the, the state and the religion were paired together. So it was a, a pagan religion. And to preach something opposite of that was to go against the, the state. And so that's why Paul is under house arrest. And, and some of these people, they're... They're excited that Paul is under house arrest because he's out of the way and they're worried because they were, they were worried of what, that Paul was going to stir up the Roman authorities against them. But now that Paul's away, they can preach their version of Christianity because they were envious of Paul. This is the rivalry. They were seeing that he was making more converts than them and, and they wanted more converts to their style of Christianity. Why? Because ultimately it was about their comfort. They were worried that either the Romans were going to cause them trouble or they were worried that they weren't going to have the converts around them. Ultimately, it was about their, their comfort, that they could have the, what they wanted. They were competing. And, and, and this is the problem is that oftentimes passivity can trump purpose for some people. That's For some people, it's not about purpose in their life. It's about being passive or, and being apathetic because they're happy with the way things are. And as a church, we can get that way too. We can just get happy with the way things are. But I believe that there's a purpose that God wants to work through us. You see, and so Paul, when his preaching and his, his passion confronts these people in their apathy and in, in their comfort, it confronts them and it convicts them that the way that they're living is not going to really push out the gospel. It's not really going to see people come to know Jesus. And so Paul is confronting them. See, some people want to tell us in our passion and in our, in our purpose, in our zeal for our purpose, that, um, hey, just be realistic. But 
but I want to say, sorry, I, I guess I didn't know you had an objective view of reality. You knew how things really are. Because I believe in a God that is greater than our physical circumstances. That doesn't just work in the natural, but works in the supernatural. Supernatural means above the natural. In other words, there is a reality that is greater than our reality. And the reality of the gospel can invade our reality to cause things to happen that we don't think could happen in and of themselves. We didn't think that, that people could come together, that, that Charlie, in the midst of his situation, the, the previous pastor, that he would be able to get and start this church and that everything could come together but there's a presence of the holy spirit that works his power to see amazing things happen and and so paul is here doing this and and he he's also seen that there's people that are emboldened they're given confidence because of his passion when people see you and they see that you're passionate about a purpose that gives them confidence too but Paul's response to these people is whether it's, it's these, his, him exposing the worst in people because they, they like that Paul's put in prison or whether it's bringing out the pests in people and giving them confidence and giving them boldness to preach the gospel where they would have been intimidated before. His, his response is, what does it matter? You know, there, there used to be um, a WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? I think we need WDIM bracelets. What does it matter? I think that would free some people in their, some other situations. What does it matter? We so care about what other people think. What does it matter? I don't have what they have. What does it matter? We need this WDIM kind of lifestyle, kind of mentality in our lives because Paul is, is, doesn't care about the, the detractors, doesn't care about those. He said those people are distractions. And I'm not about distractions. I, I'm in pain, and I don't have enough time in my life to care about the distractions. I've got a purpose that I've got to run toward. And, and as long as they're running in the purpose toward, with me, even if they don't like me, even if they're, they're against me, as long as they're for my purpose, ultimately they are for me because I'm for the purpose of Jesus Christ. And so what does it matter in my life? We, don't, we can't care about some of the distractions that we have in our life. Because what Paul is doing is as he's walking, is as he's pursuing his purpose, as he's passionately pursuing his purpose, he's emboldening others to follow along. You see, there were other people that were intimidated by the Roman authorities. And they were intimidated because they were worried about what was going to happen to them. But when they saw Paul, that when he could preach, and he wasn't intimidated, and he could keep going forward, that said, okay, well, well, he's doing that. Maybe I can do that too. And when you get passionate about your purpose, that begins to, to show who people really are in your life. Show who are your real friends. And as you begin to walk, you begin to see, hey, there are some people that are going to be with me, that are going to be for me, that are going to be for the gospel, and they're going to come together, and they're going to come around and, form, and be united on a purpose together to reach people. You see what happens to churches when we become so inwardly focused, when we become about us, then we begin to stare at our navels. We begin to kind of very look inward and be selfish and, and begin to, to have, be around each other. And, and minor things begin to become more and more important because it becomes about our comfort and what, what we want. And, and as we do that, then 
little things begin to become bigger things, like the color of the carpet or the color of the walls or what one person says or doesn't say or how loud the worship is. Or, but when we see a purpose and we, we see people coming in and accepting Jesus, then, then that's what we care about. We care about, hey, are, are what we doing coming to see more lives come into the kingdom? That's what we care about. And that's what we want to be about as a church, that we want to see more people come to know Jesus Christ. And so we don't care necessarily about how, how, how the lights are or how, whatever it is, but if it's reaching people, then that's what we want. We want to be a church that, that's like that. Will you let your walk be a witness to people? Will what, the way you're walking is the way you're doing, is that something that everybody can just do and it doesn't convict or confront anybody? Are you walking in such a way that when people who are not for the gospel or people that are, that are, that are Christians that are intimidated, are they going to be emboldened by how you're living? Or are they going to say, yeah, that's just a regular churchgoer. You know, just same, seems to be the regular thing. Because that's not the style that we want. We want to follow Jesus who, you know, the word passion, the word passion used to actually mean suffering. And, and passion means that you're, you're walking through pain, pursuing your purpose because of God's power. That you, it's, when you mix pain and, 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 and purpose with, un, with power undergirding that, undergirding God's purpose, then that's passion. And that's why we say Jesus' last week is his passion week. Because it's when Jesus suffered the most, but it's because he had a purpose of going to the cross to die for our sins. So we follow Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. That he is the one who found joy, ultimately our epitome of the one who found joy in his suffering because he saw that there was a greater joy than the suffering that he was having right there. That there was a purpose that he could go for. And, and, and the purpose is, is for, for Christians. The purpose is for non-Christians. But also the purpose is for you. And that's where Paul goes. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice in verse 18b and then 19. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ... What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, Paul is in prison right here. And, and he talks about provision, that God has given him provision. Now, provision of money? No. Provision of a crowbar? I think I'd kind of like a crowbar in his position, you know, whether it's prying the chains loose or just kind of he's, he's chained to the guard. Maybe at some point just kind of go bop the guard on the head and break free, right? You know, like crowbar might be nice. But what he says is God has given him this, the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's not just looking for physical provision. He's not just looking for physical freedom, He's looking for a spiritual freedom. He's looking for something in and of himself. And you might be suffering in joy, or suffering without joy um, in your circumstances too. Whatever you're going through. And, and maybe you're suffering because you're looking for your circumstances to change. And you see, 
you're looking for, 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 for your financial situation to change. You're looking for your job situation to change. You're looking for your marital relation to change. But I know that purpose, if you pursue your purpose, it'll take you places. Maybe you're looking for, for others to change. You're looking for, for somebody else to change before you can find joy. Maybe it, it, you're, you're facing really a purposeless pain. Uh, that in the midst of your pain, you can't see any purpose in, in it. And, and maybe there really is no purpose because maybe what you're doing is, is you're, you're experiencing pain because you want, you're not following God. Because you're, not, you're doing something God didn't tell you to do. Or, and, may, and maybe it's because you can't recognize the purpose in your pain. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, pain serves a purpose. There is a purpose, not only that we can find a, a, a pain in the whatever situation that's causing us our purpose, but we can actually find a pain in our purpose. In other words, what I'm saying is that our pain might be actually pointing to our purpose. That the, whatever is causing us pain might actually be the very thing that God wants to use to show you the purpose in your life. So if you're experiencing pain because you're, ex- you're experiencing some kind of pain because maybe you're, you're feeling like this job isn't the right thing for you, then maybe it's because jo- God's pointing you to another job or maybe because God's pointing you to a way that you are within the job that you're in that needs to change. Or maybe in your relationship. There's a pain in your relationship, and so often we want the other person to change. But what I, ha- what I so often hear when people go to counseling is, I went to change them, and I realized that I needed changing. See, God wants to work pain not only for the Christian, not only for the non-Christian, but God also. But your pain has a purpose for you, too. Your pain has a purpose for your growth. And, and one of the things Jesus promises us is he promises us that there will be pain. He says in John 16, 33, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Other places re- replace that with suffering. You, may, you, will ha- you, will have many, you will have suffering. But take heart because I have overcome the world. In other words, you will have pain. You will have suffering in your life. Jesus promises us that. Your question is, how will I respond in the midst of my suffering so that I can use my suffering as an opportunity to grow, as an opportunity to become more like Christ? Because Paul knows for him that this might not end up well for him. He's under house arrest, under facing a death sentence, and he knows most likely I'm going to face death here pretty soon. But he says that, that God might give me the courage. He says, I eagerly expect and hope as, that I will no way, in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. Now, the word courage comes from the Latin word heart, meaning it, what's in your heart. That it's out of your heart comes so many the issues of life. That's, that's what the Bible says, that it's out of our heart. But if what's in your heart is greater than what's in the world, then that's where courage comes from in our life in the face of pain do we have the courage to show the world christ and what we say and what we do so paul god has a purpose to refine paul's heart and i also think he has a purpose to refine our heart 
So many, so many times, you know, I'm, I'm terrible about losing things. I'm getting much better. But I used to lose things. And, and sometimes I would lose things. And, and I would, I'd, be, I'd be like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my phone? Or where's my keys? Where's my keys? Where's my keys? And then somebody would be like, is that your phone in your pocket? And I'm like, no, 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 it's not. And then, of course, it was in my pocket. Um, so I thought I had lost something, but I'd really had it all along. And I think that our joy is something like that. How many people remember the Sunday school song, I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart, down in my heart. I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart today. All right, all right, all right. Um, so um, that, you know, that, that song, it, it kind of gets so annoying. I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. <laughs> That's where I've got the joy. Stop asking. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, but, but I think that song is a good reminder. I've got joy. Joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart. Where does it come from? In the times of suffering, we've got to remember that, that joy is a choice. The Bible tells us rejoice, 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 rejoice. You can't command an emotion, but you can command a choice. You can command the choice to be joyful. Why be joyful? Because there is a purpose that God can work in your pain, whatever you're doing, and he wants to work that purpose inside of you so that he can develop a Christ-like character in you. So as you go out in life, you can see lives change. You can see things happening because of what Christ wants to do, and do with you. I want to close the first half of my message <laughs> with this. Um, I'm glad you got that joke. Uh, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, Shackrack and Benny for you VeggieTale fans, um, is uh, they say something in this. They're about to be thrown into fire because they won't worship the gods of this pagan king. And they say to the pagan king um, in, in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, if we are throw, thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But here's the part I love. But even if he does not... We want you to know, your, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. We have to say to a world that says, hey, you got to bow down. you got to conform to our culture. You've got to look like this. You've got to believe like what we believe. You've got to do what we do. We say, hey, we believe our God will, will, will set us free. But even if he does not, even if the persecution continues to come, that we will not serve your gods. We will stand and follow our God, Jesus Christ, because we want to develop a Christ-like character that gold can't steal, that, that the world can't steal, that ads can't steal, that our, our friends can't steal, that our family members can't steal, but that we can continue to be the person and continue to grow into the person that God has called us to be. I don't know where you are today, but maybe this message has has struck you, and you're suffering. You're going through a time of suffering in your life. And, and maybe you're, you're a follower of Jesus and you're going through a time of suffering. I, I pray that you would press in and that you'd get connected here. But one of the very first things that we need to do as followers of Jesus, or, or as if you don't follow Jesus, one of the first things we need to do is really connect with Jesus and know that hope is in him. That hope is, is, is from him. 
And, and, and so if you haven't accepted Jesus in your life, I, I just want to say a quick prayer. Um, and if the, the congregation would pray with me. Um, because maybe you're saying, I'm going through this hope. And I want to find purpose in my life. Because I'm, I don't, I don't want to just suffer purposelessly. I want my suffering to be purposeful. Well, if you want that, it starts with following Jesus. He is the one that, 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 that gives you the purpose to be able to walk through that suffering. So if you'd pray with me, um, if we bow, everybody bow our heads, close our eyes, and just repeat the prayer after me. Lord, I confess that I have turned away from you. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Today I give you my life. Thank you guys so